And this is the final chapter of Laws of Teshuvah of the Rambam. Here he sets out a very important principle of Torah. It's not just a particular law, it's the whole attitude that we're supposed to have with this thing called Judaism. Let's jump right into it. Aleph. Al yoimar adam harini oisim mitzvah satayda a person should not say, I'm going to do the mitzvahs of the Torah and engage with its wisdom in order that I shall receive all the blessings that are written in it. Or so that I shall merit the life of the world to come. I once saw the Rebbe describe this attitude. You know, it sounds noble. You know, I'm committing my life to bigger and better things, to the life of the world to come. He says, Essentially, this is not much different than somebody, not much different. It's on a spectrum of somebody who is just doing whatever he wants, pursuing physical pleasures. This person is just more strategic because he realizes there's more to be gained by doing mitzvahs than by pursuing material pleasures. But they're both on the spectrum of doing what's best for me or whatever I feel good about. It makes me feel good. What's the real way? And by the way, the, the continuum here, how we got to here, this chapter is the Rambam in the previous chapters was describing the rewards in the world to come. That's what he was talking about and the rewards in this world. So he now wants to make sure we understand that although that is all true and there is reward in the world to come and there is reward in this world for, for good deeds, that's not what it's about. So a person shouldn't say, I'm going to do all this to receive the blessings that are written in the Torah or to merit the life of the world to come. And then I'm going to separate myself from sins, from Averot, which Torah tells me not to do, so that I will be saved from the terrible things that the Torah describes happens when we do the wrong thing. Or so that I shall not be cut off from the life of the world to come. It is not proper to serve God in this way. Why? Somebody who serves in this way is serving out of fear. It is not the level of the Nevi'im and is not the level of the Chachamim, Nevi'im of the prophets, nor is it the level of the wise people. And this is kind of a, um, you know, a preliminary way to serve God for those who, who don't, who don't understand and can't grasp. You know, a child, for example, they tend to react better to um, the carrot and the stick. Let us say. If you do this, you're going to have a reward. If you don't do it, you're going to get punished. But a more sophisticated and mature and mature approach is the path of... So can we say the Rambam was a Hasid and not a Haredi? (laughs) It could be both. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So interesting, by the way, mentions that children are, are, are taught in this way. The Rebbe said that nowadays, as we get so close to the time of Mashiach, even with children, and almost especially with children, you can talk to them 
and they can also serve God in this way beyond just about the fear and the punishment and the and the even the reward that they're going to have, but doing it out of love, as we shall see. So, what is the proper way? We see the the the, the unsophisticated way. What is the proper way to serve God? It says the Rambam in Halacha two. Somebody who serves God from love. Isik He's engaged in Torah and mitzvahs, and he's walking in the pathways of wisdom, not because of anything in the world, and not because of, in other words, not because he's going to get anything out of it, and not because he's afraid of anything, of some evil thing, and not so that he will inherit the good in the world to come. This is the big line. He does the truth because it is true. The truth is its own reward. He does it not for any reward, but the reward will come. But that's not why he does it. He does it because it's the truth. This level is a very high level. Not every wise person merits to actually achieve this level we aspire to it it's the direction we're going but to really grasp that level attain that level is uncommon it is the level of abraham our forefather whom god calls god calls abraham the one who loves me i think it says avram oyhavi Avram who loves me. Why? Because Avram served God with nothing but love. So this is the level that God commands us through Moshe that we say in Shema every day. You shall love the Lord your God. And when a person will attain love of God, as the Rambam describes at the beginning of the laws of Yisraeli, the laws of the foundations of Torah, how you get to love of God through meditating on the awesomeness of God's creation. When you have the love, that will automatically create your desire to do the mitzvahs out of love. As the Alter Rebbe explains in Tanya, that when you love God, when you love anything, you want to be connected to it. You want to be attached to it. And so how a person loves God, what is he going to do about it? He's going to want to connect to God, and he knows, how do I connect to God? Through God's mitzvahs. Gimel. Any questions, comments? Yeah, yeah I mean, how does he reconcile this with the, the Deuteronomy and True. I it's a great question. Um I believe that the Rambam would say that the Torah is describing the reality. It's describing the reality of what happens. It's a general warning to the people at large. 
And as he said, this is the way that that you know we're taught initially before we can get to this high level. In other words, that has there is a foundation of no knowledge of the consequences of mitzvahs and the consequences of averots, so that a person who is not at this level will still have something to keep him on the right on the right track. But as Rambam says, yes, all of this is true. All of the he doesn't deny the the reward and punishment that Torah talks about. But he says if you really want to get to what God is in certain the, the the ultimate service of God, it's not out of fear, but out of love. But don't we need both love and fear? Fear prevents us from doing the negative commandments, perhaps. I thought in Tanya it says you need both. healthy balance of both. Right, but the fear that he's talking about—it's an excellent question. The Torah, Torah says, "You shall fear the, you shall fear the Lord your God." But what is that fear? Is it the fear of, "Oh, if I don't do this, I'm going to get punished"? That's not, that's not the fear that we're talking about. The fear of God that is a mitzvah to fear God is not fear of punishment, but it's a fear like you have in the presence of someone who is great, that you truly respect, somebody who is, um, you know, great tzaddik. Or even a great, um, you know, somebody of, of 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 any kind of greatness that you feel a fear. Not that they're going to hurt you. Not that they're going to punish you. Not that they're going to shame you. But just it's an awe. It's often translated as awe instead of fear. A state of awe. You shall be in a state of awe before the Lord your God. And that's also um, the Alter Rebbe also says this. And when you love God, you don't want to be separated from God. So in the love, there's a fear. The love of God wants you to be attached. You want to be attached to God. And you know that this thing, if you have a relationship with somebody, if you take it to the human level, between humans, if you love somebody, there's also a fear. There has to be a fear that you don't want to offend that person. You don't want to be that person to be upset and distance from you. Not because they're going to punish you, but because the relationship is so important to you. And so that's the fear that the Torah commands us not the fear of punishment because as i said you know that's ultimately a selfish thing that's not a service of god that's a service of the self that's a great distinction you made very well explained thank you so 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 he's trying to explain a deeper you know for you know just a superficial understanding of this it seems like a threat you know this is like Rambam's deeper understanding of the whole message of the uh, right Right. The, the Rambam actually, it's, it's in the previous chapter, we'll go back to it. The, he, he, what he says is that the Torah is describing the reality that if you serve God properly, you're going to have the means to continue to do so. That's what the Torah is actually describing. But, you know, he doesn't really get into that. You know, I, think, I think that the, the, basic, the basic idea is, you know, the Torah is describing the reality, but Rambam's taking us to a, you know, what, what, what it's really about. You know, there's also another, I, I see another way of looking at it. If you look at uh, that sentence that says, if you follow the truth, ultimately good will come out of it, which can also look at the opposite of it, that if you do not follow the truth, you don't have to be punished, but ultimately something bad will come out of it. And right. the Torah can give you examples of certain things of bad that can come out of it, right? Um, maybe it'll take some time, but um, following the truth is the way you know good things will come out of it. And following and not following it 
ultimately would lead you to uh, right you know for things uh, right which, which we may you know we may interpret like hey I don't want to get into that situation therefore I should fear getting there but um, right very good so can you say that um, it's the difference between just came to me but I could be completely wrong but just saying could it be the difference between being selfish and selfless bidiuk you know means bidiuk Sean I do not exactly okay bidiuk means exactly bidiuk 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 Jonathan, you're going to have to work with me on that at shul. But you have to say it slowly. Bidiyuk, as if it's three words. Bidiyuk. <laughs> uh, exactly right. Uh, right? So there's actually, you know, there's a selfish way to serve God. There's a selfish way to serve God. And there's a selfless way. And as he says, you know, there's a time to serve God selfishly. If you're not up to serving God selflessly... It's okay to serve God selfishly. It's better than um, not serving God. Because as, as, I don't know if he says it in this chapter, but we have a concept, serve God for whatever reason it is, because the service itself will bring you to a higher level. Okay, let's go on. Gimel. Here the, the Rambam describes the type of love that he's talking about. What is the proper love for God? You should love God. A great love. Yeseda, exceedingly great. Aza, very powerful and strong. That his soul is bound up with the love of God. And he is constantly obsessed with it. As if he is lovesick. He uses the metaphor of love between man and woman. And that type of love where a person is madly in love with another person. That's what he talks about as a metaphor as being madly in love with God. Where a person is not thinking about anything else but the object of his love. If you read Shira Shirim, as Rambam, as Rambam will quote, Song of Songs, it's a metaphor for love of, of, of God, our love of God. Whether he's sitting, he's constantly obsessed with it, he's sitting, he's standing up, he's eating, he's drinking, this is on his mind. So the love of God should be even greater than this love sickness. As we say in Shema, love God with all your heart and with all your soul. This is what Solomon says in Song of Songs as a metaphor. I am love sick for God. And the entire book, Song of Songs, by King Solomon on his Shir Hashirim, is a metaphor for this concept. I guess you could say that, you know, Iran, you said before that Rambam was a Chassid, not a Haredi. So it's true that Chassidus, a lot of what Chassidus is, is to help us 
gain this love for God. In the way of the Rambam, <clears throat> the Alter Rebbe models a lot after the Rambam, and because if we, again, if you go back to the beginning of Rambam, the way he starts the book is describing creation and the science and the planets and the universe, and he says you got to, you have to dwell and contemplate all of these things in order to develop a love for God, and Hasidus takes that and really runs with it in all of the Mamarim and Tanya and so forth to develop this love. God. Dalit, number four. The early sages said, I'm going to study Torah so that I can be rich. Wait, how does that work? So that I will be called Rabbi, so that I will re- re- achieve attain reward in the world to come. So the Torah says you shall do all this no to to love God, not for any other reason. Whatever you do, do it out of love. Our sages also said your desire should be in God's commandments. Not in the reward of his commandments. Here the Rambam quotes from Pirkei Avot, we just, just read on Shabbat. Don't be like the servants who serve the master for the sake of receiving a reward. Rather, you shall be as the servants who serve the master, not for the sake of receiving a reward. But for what reason? Says the Rambam. Because this master, it is fitting to serve him. You come to that conclusion. Serve him out of love. And the Rambam says that this is what the great sages would teach. The nevoine talmidehem. The specially understanding and brilliant ones of their students. This is what they would teach them. In other words, Rambam is actually hinting to that this is something that not everybody gets it. And it almost sounds like for the masses, we need a simpler approach, as he said before, for Ame Haaretz, that for the masses, they may not be up to this type of, of service of God, that this was the way that the great masters would teach their great students of the proper way to serve God. Five. If a person does serve God for reward or to avoid punishment, then he's serving God not for its sake. In other words, not for the, for the real reason. Not for God's sake. But somebody who serves God not out of fear, not out of reward, but for the love of the master of the universe who commanded this, these laws, then he's engaged in the Torah, lishma, for its sake, for the sake of the Torah. So what do the sages say? A person should always 
and be engaged in Torah, even if it is not for the sake of Torah, even if there's some ulterior selfish motive, because from doing it selfishly, you will eventually get to serving God selflessly. Like you tell your kid to clean up his room, and you want to say, why should he clean up his room? Because it's important to be clean, to be neat, to be organized, not to live in a dump, in a chazerstal. But that might not work. You might have to offer him some kind of an allowance, some kind of a reward to, to clean his room. Hopefully you hope, you hope, you're planting seeds that from getting used to cleaning his room, will do it because he wants to have a clean room. In a similar vein, when we do Torah, even if it's for reward, even if it's for fear of punishment, we're getting into a good habit and we're doing something holy. I'll tell you the Hasidic interpretation of this line. The word toch means inside. Betoch means inside. So the Hasidic explanation is that inside the Shelo Lishma, there is Lishma. That when we do something, when a Jew does something, seemingly for an ulterior motive, for a selfish motive, if you dig deeper, if you have a really good mind reader and soul reader who can really break through all of the exterior layers, he will find that we're doing it really for the right purpose. It's in there. It's almost like you have to bribe your kid to do something. He wants to do it. A child, sometimes, you know, they're getting stubborn. They don't want to do it. You bribe them with something and they do it, but they're really happy that they did it. It's the same thing with us. Sometimes we need to bribe ourselves, but inside, of course, we want to do the mitzvah. That's inside there is the lishma. By doing it, that inside will become more conscious. Rabbi, this expression lishma, we're supposed to study Torah lishma. Yeah. In plain English, what, what I, I've always struggled with, what does that mean, lishma? For its sake. So in Torah, it's talking about for its sake, for the sake of the Torah. For the sake of the Torah. Torah is feminine, that's why it's lishma. Right? Are you doing it for yourself or are you doing it for the sake of the Torah? That's the question. So the sake for the sake of the Torah means for God's sake? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm not doing it for myself. Exactly. For my ego, for my interest, because it stimulates me, because I'm taking myself out of it, and I should study it for because God right. is from God. I want to connect to God, and God wants me to study it. Right. Okay. Like you're doing something for your child. You know, it's not about you. It's the nature of a parent to be selfless to help their child. Although sometimes the ego could get involved too. But the a parent is willing to, you know, give up everything for a child. So that's not for them. It's for the child. Is it, it, didn't you say at the beginning um, that this whole thing is really around the attitude with which you study this? Exactly. And the attitude of, of selflessness in it is its fulfillment. And it's just like don't, um, don't have conditional love. If you, do, if you clean your room or if this, then I give that and all that stuff. You can do some rewards and things. 
but you have to be careful not to make it a conditional love. That's a selfish love. So exactly. And, 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 you know, it's kind of an interesting thing I was thinking, too, is, isn't it, it's kind of like, you don't want to study thinking you're going to get well, for example. However, you do get wealth from study. See, it's all about the attitude. Right. And Perfect. Excellent. Okay, let's finish this. So he says, so he says, now he's backing it up. Now he's backing up and he's saying, you know, we talked about the ideal, but let's not forget, even if you're not at the ideal, you still should keep doing it. Keep doing the right thing, even if it's, uh, if it's for selfish purposes. And that is how we teach the children and those who are otherwise um, unable to reach this high level. You, you start them off with with uh, fear of punishment, with with uh, thinking about the rewards that the mitzvahs will bring until their their uh, their mind expands and they get smarter. And then you start to reveal to them the secret. He uses the word secret. It's almost like a secret. Ma'at ma'at, yidl by yidl, umar gilanoisinli, and then you get them used to this idea benachas. Gradually, interesting how the Rambam puts it. It shouldn't be an abrupt and tell him, hey, forget about everything we told you about the reward and punishment. It's gradual. Slowly work him into this idea until they understand it and they can grasp it and they can serve God from, from love. It's interesting. The Rebbe talks about this in Pirkei Avot where we have the, um, you know, you mentioned conditional love, Sean. That's also Mishnah and Pirkei Avot. It says that conditional love will eventually peter out because the condition goes away and there goes the love. But unconditional love is eternal. Right? I think in the words of uh, the Pirkei Avot, Ahava hatluya bedavar. There's a love that is dependent on something. Batla davar, batla ahava. When the thing is gone, the love is gone. So, I think the Rebbe comments on that and says, you know, you don't want to, if, if there is a, a conditional love, like what we're talking about here, don't discount it. Don't drop it, because it's conditional. Try to Try to raise it up. Try to bring it up to a higher level. But don't, don't drop it so that the person is left with nothing. You know, it's better to clean your room for a prize than to live in a mess. Uh, another thing about <laughs> traditional love is, you know, if you do things, you know, only for rewards, and you see they are carrying the rewards, and that's nothing that happens, you know. It discourages people sometimes to do it if they don't have the real love, you know, that's what it is. Excellent. That's why, a... why would they do that, you know, because it doesn't work, you know, so that's... That's a, good, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Okay, we got one more halacha, so let's uh, let's go for it. Some people don't like this law. Some people want to have it all. <laughs> 
They want to have their spirituality and they want to have their steak and they want to have everything. Says that Rambam, that's not going to work. The love of God will not be bound up in the heart of man until he is obsessed with it constantly and abandons everything in the world except for it. As it says, with your entire heart, with your soul. What that means is there's nothing left in your heart or soul than this love for God. If you've got a love for something else that is not God, then you're not doing the mitzvah as described in the Shema. So, you know, I love God six days out of the week. But one day out of the week, <laughs> you know what, God, I'm going to take a little vacation from you and I'm going to do something else. Not necessarily something forbidden. This is high level. I'm, I'm, don't, don't, don't think you gotta, you got to jump in, to, jump onto this right away. But the Rambam is really describing a very high level, really the tzaddikim. Yeah. They are, their whole thing is love for God. There's no vacation. There's no, and they don't need a vacation. It's not like they're... Nothing mundane, right? Nothing mundane. Nothing mundane. Um, there's nothing, no self, you, you, you go back to Sean's word, there's no selfishness anywhere. Everything is about, is about service of God. And that's the real love of God. I mean, I, I'll give you the, the, I've talked about Shabbat in the past, how, you know, Shabbat is such a gift, such a blessing. But to get the full blessing, the more you're in tune with Shabbat, the more you get out of it. Right? So you can, you can observe Shabbat at different levels. You can have a Friday night dinner. You can light Shabbat candles. You can come to shul, so on and so forth. But the more Shabbat, it's, it's a bigger commitment. Right? There's 39 melachot. You can't plow your field on Shabbat. Can't even tie a knot. So there's a lot of restrictions on Shabbat. But to get that the, the Shabbat feeling, the more the more in tune you are with the with the spirit of Shabbat, the more you get out of it. And this too, it sounds it sound, you know, uh, overwhelming or oppressive. Nothing else besides God. I mean, come on, let me I want to go to the opera, I want to go here, there, go to the restaurant for once in a while. Everything is about God. Come on. It sounds restrictive, but in truth, it's the most liberating thing, and it's the most invigorating thing, and the most empowering thing to be in this state of love with God, and it takes over everything else, and it doesn't require, you know, um, restricting oneself because one is so obsessed with God that he has no interest in anything else. I'm gonna challenge here with a tough question, though. Yeah. Only tough love, questions. That's the only we should take. Should you love your spouse uh, because you love your God? So in respect to God. Or should you love your spouse unconditionally because you love them? And love your God independently. Because if you love your, your spouse to respect God and you're, because of your love to God, then, you know, your spouse may think, you know, not holistic it's not you know the or a child by the way it doesn't have to be a spouse right uh, right it's a great question 
<clears throat> it's an excellent question. And um, what should I say? We don't have to answer it. I mean, it's a, it's a good, not everything, but. It's a very good question. I think I think instinctively, 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 we see the kind of contradiction here because instinctively we want to say you love your spouse or you love your child for who they are, yep. keep God out of it. Right. But also instinctively we understand that that can't be. And I think that the answer is that God wants us to love our spouse. He wants us to love our children, and He's the one who imbued us with the capacity to do so and with the nature to do so and so i think that i think that that it really is one in other words i'll, I'll, I'll let me say it in the in the negative which is it, it can't really be separated from one's relationship with god if it is then there's something wrong with the relationship with god it, it, everything is imbued with the relationship with God and love for God and, and the and the being gra grateful for example to God the fact that I have this person in my life I have the a spouse that I have this child in my life there's really nothing outside of God I mean at a very simple level without God I wouldn't have this so it there, there could be a there could be a place where a person is like, God, what does he have to do with this? This is the person that I, I am in love with. This is my child that I created. Well, wait a second. There's three partners in the child, the mother, the father, and God. Everything is from God. Everything that I have is from God. And so it's, you know, being thankful for it and recognizing where it is as opposed to, you know, God is over here. He's in the shul. Uh, deal with that then. And this is my own thing. So that would be kind of a contradiction. But... I don't see a contradiction in love for God and love for one's child and spouse since God wants us to love our spouse and love God. I have to say God. that um, if you and your spouse are on the same level with the love of God, then everything is beautiful. But uh, if your spouse is slightly different and you have to make some choices sometimes, then you have priorities. And right. this is where the conflict may arise. Do I do this or do I do that? <laughs> Well, that's a great question. That's um, that's a very tricky question. I think that, again, you come at it from God's perspective, right? Because sometimes it could, if we go back to the selfish, selfish and self and selfless. There could be two ways of coming at it. One is a, a selfish way, which you know could supposedly be about God, but really is about the self. You know, I I want to be. You know, I want to study Torah right now, and my wife wants to go for a walk. So, you know, she's getting in my in my way. <laughs> but that's if I come at it from a selfish, if I if I want to study Torah, that could be a selfish thing, right? And so, um, you know, there are situations where there's real conflict, and you know, a person it could be selfless that he wants to study Torah, but he always has to think, you know, what does God want me to do in this situation? Does God want you know how how if I'm really asking what God wants over here, as opposed to my spiritual yearning or my spiritual desires, you know, that's also a, a desire. It's also could be a selfish desire. Um, I think when you come at it from that perspective and with the humility, then it's, it's still could be challenging, but it's, it's a lot easier to find a, um, 
to find a path. So I just don't, I don't see, if you think about love, isn't that part of the, so, okay, so if you think about the end game being, being Mashiach, isn't that raising yourself to a higher level, in order to raise yourself to a higher level? That higher level is love of God, not just the rote doing something to try and get a reward. So the selflessness is the love. And that's the same thing with a spouse. So isn't it just the same thing applied in different ways? It's that you, if you think about times when your heart feels filled and fulfilled and full of God's love. Say on uh, on Shabbat, and and there are times when you feel that more. I mean, you, you know, we've all had that. And then you have the same thing for your spouse. I don't. I'm just thinking about that in my experience. I feel the same. So isn't it the same? Yeah, I would. I would agree. Um, I think the question is when there comes a conflict. Let's say you want to go to shul on Shabbat and your spouse wants to go golfing. Yeah. Like, you know, and suddenly you uh, discovered synagogue in Cholent. She doesn't like Cholent. She thinks it tastes horrible. Horrible. You're you're striking a chord here, Rabbi. Okay. (laughs) Right? So I think that's the question. You know, if you say... uh, Isn't that separate, though? It's not the love. Like, it doesn't mean you love your spouse any less, right? That's, just love Cholent more. Just love Cholent more, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it depends on the circumstance. Any one of these is a certain... Anyway, so I know it's a tough... But the, the, end, the end game at the end of all of this is Mashiach. Maybe this is the secret, this attitude, this approach to selfless is the is the path to Mashiach. 100%. 100%, yeah. There's a, Marcos once told me, if you take the Hebrew word ish and put it next to isha, which is man and woman, right next to each other, and then you take the letters out of those two combined words that form God's name, what you have left is ish, which means fire, which means it's garnished, which means it's, it's all not going to make No, it means it's not going to, nothing, it's burned up. So a, a relationship without God in it is, oh. that, that's what Marcus, I, I'm trying to work it out, Ishani, I don't know, maybe Iran can help me. Ishani, I couldn't figure out, like, wait a second, what am I supposed to take out? <laughs> but, but I'll trust Marcos with that. Right, Ish. Isha has a Yud and Isha has a He. So Yud and He is God's name. And if you take out the Yud and the He, you're left. You're left, okay, you're left okay. with the uh, Aleph and Shin, which is Aish, which is fire. So that's so great. I mean, wow. The, well, all of these studies are so great. But yeah. that's pretty cool, this attitude. But again, the, the, the difficulty here is not for. I'm going to be honest. The difficulty here is not for the people that are observing 
in the first place and coming, you know, they're on the same level. Uh, the difficulty is for people that are coming to it, and one does and one doesn't, and then, and then one loves God and wants to do more, and one does less and wants to do something different. And and uh, do you do you do you bridge that gap or do you separate? Right. Um, and I think what we're saying here we're we're bridge we're we're better off bridging the gap than separating. Um, so, Iran, I have to ask, and I, is there, in, in what you were saying, is there some judgment on the part of that thought? In a sense of, uh, like, like, not like what I'm thinking, or? Exactly. Like, so if I'm going to shul, yeah. my wife doesn't want to go to shul, and I'm, so am I judging that I'm, getting closer to God and she is not and you disagree with that well, is that not a judgment on my part uh, that's actually a good point and I think it is a judgment but you know we're following for example should I pray every day because of my love to God or is it okay to not pray and still love God uh, in other words do I need to follow the mitzvahs to show my love or do I don't follow the mitzvahs and still have some love in my heart I uh, I think I think the premise here is to the right way is to show the love and the and through the mitzvahs as well, right? Uh, not do nothing and just say I love you. Um, so where am I going with this? At some point in certain families, you will have conflicts, and uh, and how do you bridge those conflicts is uh, in a peaceful manner? Because I think the the it's a, it's a it's a real it's a real thing, right? There's many couples and families that are going through a path, uh, you know, and uh, and they need to work it out. Um, to to um, you know, one doesn't need to run faster, you know, left while the other one runs faster to <laughs> to the right. Um, it's probably better to go kind of in step mode and and build it up. Um, that's my guess. But. Now, I, I agree with you, Iran. It, it's a very serious issue and is present in every every couple, I think. It's probably hard to find a couple that is exactly on the same page regarding their religious observance or relationship with God. Um, it's kind of unusual unless they're unless they're hundred <laughs> percent on the on one side or hundred percent on the other side. So couples that are both super duper religious, they could be on the same page. And there are those who are super, super not religious that are probably on the same page. You know, they're very religious about eating a nice sandwich on your kipper, you know. <laughs> they, they'll probably be on the same page. But for most of us, we're in the middle. We're not radical yeah. either way. And so we have, you know, we're, we're uh, you know, we're, we're somewhere on the spectrum. And like everything else, with with uh, with a with a relationship, we're not going to be on the same page with things. But you're right that with religion, it could make it even more dicey. You know, if we don't like the same foods, okay, you, you know, like the restaurant on on, uh, on Pico, you can sit on one side and have pizza, on the other side you can have a burger, has a little mechitza in the middle at Nagila. You know, you can work it out. It's not that emotional. But when it gets to religion, people get very emotional on both sides. 
you know, I'm trying to live this higher life and, you know, you're dragging me down. You're holding me back. And the other, on the other side of it is what happened to this guy? He became a radical Meshuggah. You know, he's, (laughs) it's it's like, what happened? And uh, there's also, there's also a little bit of defensiveness, like, oh, wait, I'm not religious enough. Um, so it's there's a defensiveness. So it there is definitely a much, it's a tricky, very tricky situation, as we say in preschool. It's tricky, and I think I mean it's you know every situation is different, and sometimes it really requires you know real counseling. In some cases, but I think that the key to it, the underlying principle of it, is that if you take the ego out of it, and it's especially tricky because. Since I'm more, I'm being trying to be religious. So what does that have to do with ego? You know, I'm being the holy guy. No, 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 no. Religion is filled with ego. <laughs> more ego than you can imagine. So as long as we take the ego out of it, and we approach it from that approach and without judgment uh, of the other, I think that's another important word, Sean, you brought up. And if you come at it from that, which is not easy, it's so easy to be in a state of, of judgment of, you know, uh, I'm advancing over here and, you know, catch up or at least respect it. And to have humility, I think humility is a big one to remain humble. I think there's a great saying from one of the Hasidic rabbis. He said, I prefer a wicked person who knows that he is wicked than a righteous person who knows that he is righteous yeah. wow. you hear that like it's a great is a great pitfall of religiosity is this kind of feeling of you know i'm i'm uh somebody's echoing just gonna um this feeling of the feeling of being of being you know religious and uh, um, getting closer to God and then I'm coming out studying Torah and I'm doing these mitzvahs and I'm really uh, you know I'm progressing over here and so forth that feeling that feeling is is a dangerous feeling so you know it's very powerful huh it's an extremely powerful when you see it quote working yeah right it's very powerful and the humility becomes tougher and tougher yeah right yeah you know because you know i mean in kabbalah it hides some of the wisdom of kabbalah until you're ready to have that wisdom because of that righteousness because of the power that can come with it and and you've got to keep your ego down as you learn more and your humbleness has to go with it, right? Isn't that, is that what he's saying with that? Yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll, just, I'll just add and I'll conclude because uh, you know, we're getting a little over time here, even though it's Thursday night. Fabrengen. Um, I'll just say that it's, I'm going to flip it because it's always fun to flip it, right? So I could be looking at at my uh, my spouse as you know holding me back and the truth is quite the opposite that this friction 
can actually be making sure that I'm on the right track, that it's really not about ego. Because it's going to force me, you know, if, I, if somebody was just cheerleading me on, yeah, go ahead, blah, 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 it's great. And coming along for the ride, you would never have to do that check. Check your, uh, to check if whether, where's it really coming from. This challenge of having to deal with that forces you to say, hold on, hold on a second. Let me, let me see what's really going on over here. Um, and having to deal with that and live in that type of environment is really, it's challenging, but also could make sure that we're, we're on the right path and we're coming at it with, with humility. That's and, beautiful. and with, and may, maybe nothing ever changes and that, that, gap remains but it's more likely that there'll be more tolerance and more support for um, for, for both when it when it's approached in this ego egoless ma and uh, a humble manner and selfless manner perspective yeah yeah it's it, uh, you know when when um when there is, when there is some ego involved then that can be sensed as well by others and it's not as appealing. It's not as attractive. And when it's when there's a sense of selflessness and humility, that also can be sensed. People can pick up on that, and you know have a different different reaction over time. But definitely a very tricky situation and complicated situation and challenging situation that. I think everybody goes through at at some level because there's always going to be we're never going to be exactly on the same page on, in regards to this and it's it's an important thing to bring up so i'm glad you brought it up because we have to be conscious of it and not react like everything else it's easy to be in a reactive mode but to be conscious of it to say okay this is happening let me slow down let me uh let me take it very deliberately with humility The Rebbitson has some very good insight on this as well, Rabbi. Talk to the Rebbitson. <laughs> and finally, talk to the Rebbitson. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, this has been another wonderful Leil Shishi. Thank you for the wonderful insights. The Rambam has given us much to think about, and we'll wish you a wonderful Shabbat. Shabbat Devarim. Happy Chodesh. And we'll see you on Shabbat or next week. Rabbi, I appreciate if you could uh, send the recordings. That was a good one. Bevakasha. Thank you very you much. Got it. You sign up Thank to the you. sign up to the podcast. I started uh, I started uploading them again. Okay. Thank you. Alrighty. Thank you. See y'all. See y'all. <laughs> Always great to see you, Rabbi. Big challenge this week. Don't miss it. The Cholent exists. The is back. So who who of you got in the household? Was it Devorah?